Amen. Well, uh, I'm going to read today's scripture. If you're able to uh, stay standing, I invite you to do that. We're going to be in the uh, book of Ephesians 2. Uh, so if you want to turn there. We're starting our, our, past, or our message series in the next uh, uh, three or four weeks that we have of, of Together. And uh, this, the scripture that we're reading today, uh, Paul is writing to the, the, the people in uh, Ephesus. He's, these are believers. They're, they're in the spirit, he says, in the very beginning. And he's writing in this section that's called One in Christ. And so that's kind of the background of, of where we are. We'll be in Ephesians uh, 2, starting in, in verse 17. And he's talking about Jesus when he says he. And, and he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers or aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows in a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And we pray with me. Father God, we acknowledge your presence here today. Lord, we pray that uh, we can understand that we are, um, we are joined together and one uh, in Jesus Christ in the church. Father, I pray that you would uh, open up our eyes and ears, that you would take anything that hinders us from hearing your word powerfully. Lord, will you be bold and real in our, uh, in our uh, lives this morning as we hear from the word. Lord, we lift up and we anoint our brother, uh, Pastor Mike, as he brings the word. Lord, will you use him as a tool to speak in and through each and every one of us, Lord. You are so good. Speak to us now. Be bold. Proclaim the word of Jesus Christ in our lives right now, Father God. We give you these next moments, and in your son's name we pray, amen. Amen. You can be seated. I'm so uh, thankful to uh, be here this morning and preach. It's uh, just a really exciting, obviously, day uh, as we start a, another season of ministry at an encounter and also having guests uh, to come back and, and share all well, that God is doing in the life of Teen Challenge, and, and it's just awesome. Uh, today is a, uh, as you probably know, everybody's getting back from and they're settled into school, and now we're getting settled into ministry, and, and this uh, is uh, uh, also a, a time where we're also getting back to church. Uh, nationally, we're actually, as a matter of fact, thousands of churches across the country is participating in what is called Back to Church Sunday. And it's a great opportunity to join other uh, people in the body of Christ across the country to reflect and reclaim the true nature of the church as a place uh, and an expression of love, peace, hope uh, to, for, for us and also for our friends, neighbors, communities, and the people around us. Uh, we want to re-engage with um, uh, the, the, the card that you have in the back of your seat, uh, who is your one. Uh, we really want to start looking out and seeing how we can be inviting church. Uh, who in your circle of influence do you know? Uh, here it is right here. Uh, that, that you know would benefit from a, a relationship with Jesus. Uh, God has called you to love your neighbor and invite your neighbor to, to a meaningful relationship with Jesus. Invite your neighbor to church. And so we want to encourage you to do that. So take this. We've given you this tool. It's just got some uh, really practical steps to help you walk alongside you to, to help you do that. And, and because we want to be an inviting uh, church. 
Uh, sometimes we do a really good job at representing Christ as the church, uh, to, uh, and sometimes we don't. And, and so if, I know that everyone is here today has a personal story and maybe an experience with a church. Uh, some, some experience have been good and life-giving, and some have maybe have been painful and, and bad. Uh, for those who have experienced uh, a painful experience with the church, I'm sorry. God's church is not perfect. This is why we all need Jesus, right? But our, our goal and our aim here at Encounter Church is to love God. Our vision and mission is to love God and love one another as the best we can uh, through Christ. And, and so uh, we, we want to encourage you, if you're here today, to, to, to keep on coming back. And, and uh, no matter what has brought you here today, we are honored that you came. Um, we are excited to be together. Together is the theme of our Back to Church Sunday. As, and as I uh, thought about the togetherness theme, um, uh, what, what it means to be a follower of Christ, I thought of Legos. Did you ever grow up, did you all grow up playing with Legos? Yeah? I, I know that Stephen, that was kind of his favorite, I mean, he had crates and, 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 and just buckets full of Legos as he was growing up. These are just really insignificant small pieces of plastic with little raised dots. I don't have to explain Legos here, do I? I mean, you know what a Lego is, right? But as, as they're just small pieces of plastic uh, with no real, in, no real significance in and of themselves. Uh, who could imagine that, that these pieces of plastic would become a multi-million dollar business? Uh, it's a Danish toy company that began in the 1930s, uh, and they have built a Lego empire around these building blocks when they after they introduced them in 1950. Uh, individually, the Legos, again, are insignificant pieces of plastic and, and a great cause of distress to parents who, in the darkness of night, walk into their kids' room and step on them. And if you're like a tenderfoot like me, it's like a thousand knives going up your heel. And then it's always at the most opportune, inopportune time because you're trying to hold back every expression that you want to say. But, he, but the, <laughs> that's happened to me. Like, I'm, I'm kind of scarred. Sorry. <laughs> uh, Stephen, well, yeah, right. we'll talk about his cleaning habits. But the, the idea is that Legos can be, right? Legos are designed. They're, they're just, there's a simple, basic design. But the magic is the way that they fit, fit together, right? Legos were designed to be together. And that's, that's what those little raised circles are for. They attach each brick to one another. And together, these plastic pieces make amazing creations. Today, there are full-scale models of, of castles and cars and airplanes and spaceships that all have been built on Legos. If you've ever been to Legoland, you know that you've been treated to scale replicas of the world's most famous buildings. If you go down to downtown Disney right now, you got that picture? Go down to downtown Disney right now. This whole dragon, the knight, the horse, and the shield and sword are all made of Lego pieces, and it's sitting on top of their building. Over 100,000 pieces of Legos went into building this dragon and the knight. Isn't that incredible? It's, it's something to be said that, that <clears throat> it seems that Legos can be put and made into virtually anything, but they're just these little insignificant pieces of plastic when they're not together. But together they can create something bigger and better than the sum of their own parts. Do you get that? And in the in this same sense, the church are like Legos. The body of Christ, the people, the, a collection of individuals, though various sizes and shapes and colors, individually they might not be much to look at, but when they come together, 
as God intended, we form the church. We form the body of Christ. God takes individual lives and by his design, he makes something spectacular and gives it purpose. Now, I know like Legos are kind of a fun example and you might be saying, well, you know, my needs are way more than toys. I just need a better example than that. But I hope you will, you will hear today and receive today and be encouraged and excited about the whole concept of togetherness. Because God's purpose is together. There's no Lone Ranger Christians. We were never created to be apart from one another. We were never created to be insignificant pieces of block, doing our own thing, not being made into anything. We are to be together and be made into the image and the likeness of Christ together as the church. My hope is that this, is that you will find that in this, that, that you will understand that this togetherness, this concept is powerful and life-changing, and Christ invites us to be together with himself and with one another. As we call each other back to like back to church Sunday, my hope is that you'll experience something that you never have before. And if you haven't been connected to a church in, in a real meaningful way, this is the call for you to be connected. That when you're disconnected, you know that there, I can just speak for myself, when I disconnect myself, all kinds of bad happens. All kinds of bad happens. Uh, the, 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 I think it's a Chinese proverb that says that, that the idleness is the workshop of the devil. And it really is, because we make decisions on our own that is probably not good for us, right? And then we start to think, we need each other. We need to be together. And so whether you're a regular member, a first-time visitor, or you're on the fence about church, I invite you to commit to joining us in this four weeks as we journey through uh, and explore the concept of what it means to be together. Us, for us as individuals, for us as a church, and for us to be part of our world for the body of Christ. So over the next four weeks, we're going to discuss together how we can experience peace. You got that up? We're going to, how we can experience peace together, how we can experience our love together, how we can grow stronger together, and how we can change our world together. Our guide in this journey is going to come from the book of Ephesians. So if you still have your Bibles, keep them open to Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to give you a little backdrop of Ephesians chapter 2 while we're here. While in prison in Rome, the apostle Paul wrote this letter to a group of believers in the city of Ephesus about 30 years after Jesus's death and resurrection. And this is the letter that he wrote is the letter in the New Testament that we call Ephesians. It's a short letter. It's six chapters, but it's beautiful and it's powerful. And togetherness is the theme that Paul seems to come back to again and again in and through his letter. It's fitting that we study this book together uh, because this is the way the, the original believers in Ephesus did. I don't have to tell you that uh, the people in Ephesus didn't have cell phones or smartphones or computers or, or tablets, right? They didn't have the internet, right? They had this letter. And so what they would do is they would gather together and surround this letter. One of the elders of the church would actually read this letter and then they would contemplate what Paul was saying. They would wrestle with some of the implications. They would, they would really question and, and discern and, and pour into and dig into just the meaning of every single part of the letter. And this is what we want to do too. 
We want to dig in and just see what God has for us when it comes to this togetherness and this theme. Paul wrote one letter and they gathered together to listen and to read it. And together they listened and learned, they shared, they discussed, they wrestled through all the challenges that they were, they were living through in their faith in the midst of a culture that was unlike them, that was heading in a direction uh, that was counter-biblical, that, that God would not want them to lead. So we will be following their lead together, discussing and wrestling with the ways that Christ invites us to live both together with him and with one another. Does anybody know where Ephesus is? Anybody? I know you do, Pastor Dave. Put your hand down. <laughs> if you Google Ephesus on Google Maps, you'll find like a whole, like a, a dozen churches pop up real quick. And, and so a lot of churches have actually named their, their church Ephesus. Uh, if you go yeah, deeper, there's a city in the state of Georgia. There's an elementary school in North Carolina. There's a Mediterranean food uh, place in Houston, Texas called Ephesus. If you keep on scrolling, you'll eventually find the ruins of Ephesus. And they are located on the site of ancient city that is now modern day Turkey. It would be kind of the west coast of Turkey. And, uh, and here, if, uh, but no one in Paul's time would have never had to, they, they would have never had to look this up because they would have known all about Ephesus because of its popularity. It was a port town. Uh, it, it was a place where the, the, the city of Ephesus was a port, port town, once considered the most important city in, uh, in Greece, and, uh, in, the, in that area. And uh, it was also uh, by the Romans. The Romans called it one of their most trading capitals, uh, one of their capitals, and it was also the home of the temple of Artemis, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. So you wouldn't have to tell the people who were living at this time, in the, in the time that this was written about Ephesus, they would know all about it. It was a big and bustling city with many people going in and coming out, worshiping, doing business, and passing from one region to another because it was a port town. In the early history of the church, Ephesus became a place of great evangelism where the gospel spread very quickly and many people became believers. So much so that riots would break out because at the temple of Artemis where people were worshiping pagan gods, there was, there was just a, a lack of business. People, so many people were coming to faith in Jesus that they didn't need to go to the, the pagan temples anymore. And, and so it was causing this and it actually caused a huge riot. The pastor, John, who was, who was leading in Ephesus, actually, uh, they tried to kill him several times. They tried to boil him in oil. They couldn't kill the guy, so they ended up banishing him to a prison island called Patmos just to make him quit preaching the gospel. Can you imagine that? That so many people are coming to faith in Bellflower because of the ministry of Encounter Church that it's just bad for business on the corners of where people, like drug addicts are, are, are washing up, the drug dealers are all mad at us because we're seeing so many people come to faith in Jesus and then they start persecuting me. Wouldn't that be crazy, persecuting this church? That the, the drug, at, drug dealers are just like all fired up because more people are coming to faith in Jesus and finding healing and hope and restoration in Christ? Can you imagine that? Why isn't that happening today? We have the same power that Paul had in Ephesus present and ready for us today. We do. Do you believe that? Somebody say amen. Okay, I'm a little fired up today. We've got a full crowd. It's kind of nice. Right? You guys, you're welcome every week. You fill this place up. 
Paul had presently or previously spent time in Ephesus as a missionary. Uh, he knew the culture and all the challenges that they were going to face. He knew that there was a multi-ethnic multi group surrounded and, uh, surrounding this, this culture and all of the challenges that came with that. There was all kind of different ideologies, beliefs, and practices. And so he was in, he's, he's just much like the church today. The church of Ephesus needed strength biblical unity. They needed a, a clear doctrine and a clear path, a clear understanding of what uh, uh, their call is. So his letter is, is it's short, but it's encouraging. He instructs them about the church. He's, the first half of Ephesus basically looks at the gospel story, how the good news about Jesus' life, de death, and resurrection. I had too much coffee this morning. <laughs> Calm down. So the first part of, of Ephesus is about the good news. It's about the gospel. It's about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and how that changes the world. That God loves us this is, and he demonstrates his love for us by sending us Jesus. Jesus becomes our perfect example of what it means to live. He, he lives in perfect obedience to the Father. He, he dies a sacrificial death for us. He goes to the cross. He takes all of our guilt, all of our shame with him to the cross. He pays the price owed for the penalty of our sins and he dies. He takes our sins to the grave and three days later he raises from the dead. This is the good news about Jesus. And the, good news, and the greater news about Jesus is now he invites believers to, to put their faith in him and that he promises us to send us the Holy Spirit that we can now live a life redeemed and glorified in an attempt to glorify him together. That's the good news. And Paul reminds us about that in the first half of Ephesians. Part one describes God's redemptive plan to bring all humans together through him, to himself through his son, Jesus Christ. Part two then gets very practical, just how we should live our life in response of God's grace and how we should relate to others. How do we then, like as saved Christians, as people, believers in Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit, how do we then get along with one another? The second half of the book focuses on the story of the gospel story and how it changes lives. Following the lead of the Ephesians, we'll spend today and the next Sunday looking at peace and love, how they were given to us through the life and sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And then the following two weeks, we'll look at how in light of the gospel, we can grow stronger together and impact our world starting right here. You ready? You with me? You want to do it? So our world needs peace. You believe that? We need peace in our lives. We need not only peace for presently, we need peace that lasts forever. And so we're going to look at, at how peace is found in Jesus. Let's dive into Ephesians chapter 2. And we'll start with verse 17, if you're following along in your Bibles. And it is hot and sticky. Woo! We had a conference here yesterday. We, we did a diversity conference, and it's, it's really lined up with what we're talking about here. And there were speakers in here from 7 o'clock in the morning to 3.30. It was like a Southern Baptist Bible Belt-like conference. It was, it was crazy, sticky, people busting out your fans. Like, you got fans underneath your seats if you need them. Everybody pick up a fan real quick. You got them right there? Isn't that cool? And say, thank you, Brett. Thank you, Brett. 
That's from Complete Printing. He hooked us up with fans. And, and now, as you're fanning, pray to Jesus for the money to put air conditioning in here. <laughs> amen. Everybody say amen. Right? We can, we can wrap it. That's a unified front right there. And so let's dive into Ephesians 2 and talk about peace that Jesus offers us. Ephesians 2, chapter 17. I pray that you'll hear the word of the Lord. And he came and preached peace, say peace, peace. to you who were far off, and peace, say peace, peace. to those who were near. That, that's all of us. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together, say together, yes. grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him we also are being built together, together, yes. into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Did you ever find yourself or those you know like searching for a place to belong? I think that this has been like my journey from, from, I think, childhood, just trying to fit in. I can remember even in my elementary school, like, like just try, like changing my name so that I could feel like I was somebody else. Have you ever did that? You're just like, hey, that's my cousin over there, and he ain't your cousin. <laughs> you know, you're, you're just lying because you want to belong. You're just lying because you want to, have you ever, I, I, I did that. I mean, like, Lars is my cousin. I still know the dude's name because he was cool and I wanted him to be my cousin, right? But he wasn't my cousin. I just had this need to belong, searching for a way to be part of something that was cooler or better and maybe even bigger than my existence at the time. Where do you experience that sense of belonging? Where do you experience, where do you find the truest sense of belonging? Where are you going to experience that? Paul says is that the body of Christ, the church, is our place of belonging. Like we are creations of God. We are children of God. And we are made for the, to be part of the body of Christ. And this sense of belonging where we're trying to find our identity and belonging in everything else is only grasping at something that, that, that is meant for us to grasp into eternity, into the kingdom of God, into his church. Like this is what we're longing for. Every desire to belong is supposed to lead us to Jesus and his church. He says the church is a place of belonging rooted in the restoration and the unity brought, uh, uh, brought about by Jesus the central issue of togetherness in Ephesians 2 is unity, and the foundation of this unity is God's grace and acceptance of us. This leads me to my first principle today, if you're following along in your bulletin. It's this. <clears throat> Nobody can claim a higher position or status because all believers are of the same status. We are all sinners in need of God's far-reaching grace. Do you believe that? So when we talk about this together, the togetherness, there's no outsiders in here. You're all insiders. We all have the same status. We all have the same need. We all have the same need for Jesus. Earlier in chapter 2, Paul emphasizes the fact that the very life that we have received from God is only because of God's gift of grace. Look at what he writes. 
He says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is not a result of works so that no one, it's a gift from God, not a result of works so that no one can boast. When we recognize that it is grace that has saved us, it forces us to open our arms and our hearts to everyone. Male, female, young, old, everyone in gratitude to God. We all come through the same God, the same way, with the same need, needing the same grace. And grace does not allow exclusion. Instead, it brings us together in unity. Paul goes on to explain in verses 14 and through 16 how Christ's purpose has to unify the two major divisions of people in this region, Jews and Gentiles. By including these two groups, Paul basically is including everyone in the world. If you weren't a Jew, a God's chosen people, you were a Gentile. You were considered everyone else. And so here he says this, to clarify this in chapter 2, he says, For he, speaking of Jesus, is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. How desperately we need to take this verse in as people today. Because we can, we, we can turn into people who are of entitlement and we can see the people around us as us and them. But Jesus here is breaking down the wall of hostility in between all humanity. By coming to save the world, all people of the world, Jesus broke down the deepest divisions between God and man, the deepest divisions of humanity between God's covenant people and other people. And so you don't have to be, whatever status you think you are, you still come to the cross the same way someone else does. In doing so, uh, with that separation, God brings about real peace, real lasting ultimate peace. And this is how God begins to do it, by making peace with all people. He levels the playing field and he says, you are all the same. <clears throat> and this, this Jesus is for everyone. Obviously, peace will not be completely uh, realized until Jesus returns. We do have a promise of, of Jesus that he will come and that he will right every wrong. He will establish his kingdom right here on earth. And we are to begin to, to live that out today. One of, or one of the things that Jesus has pray, uh, taught us how to pray is for his kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. Like he wants this, this is a present reality and he, he, he makes this a present reality. Today he wants this peace to come in and through his church. Boy, does the church need to reflect the peace of Christ. How do we handle conflict today? If, if we know that we're reconciled back to God through Jesus Christ, uh, it should be gratitude that now motivates us because apart from Christ, we were separated from God, alienated, strangers. That's what the Bible says. And that we all deserve the wrath of God, but Jesus. Oh, don't we like big butts? I don't have one, but if you like big butts in the Bible, but Jesus God being rich in mercy since, since Jesus, my jokes fall flat here. They should, come on, laugh. I, I need self-confidence. I have none. But Jesus, but God being great in mercy sends us Jesus to reconcile us back to God, to pay the penalty, and now he calls us with gratitude to then be the hands and feet of Jesus, to go and be now peacemakers. 
to, to, to bring heaven to earth, to, that people can actually experience this ultimate peace, this lasting peace. Not a peace that, that, that a drug gives us for a minute, like an escape. Peace is not escape. Peace is not like uh, 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 making it successfully financially. That's not peace. That's all temporary peace. We need a peace, a lasting peace, and it's this peace that Jesus offers us. It's through Jesus we now have peace with God uh, uh, where we were once hostile to him, deserving the wrath, and in response of gratitude we now seek peace with one another, especially where there is hostility. Can you imagine, let's start this just at the house right now. You know that there's hostility in your home. And, And here's what we'll do, here's what we'll do, we'll just like, if your behavior would just change right now, there'd be peace. If you would do this or do that, we would find peace. Maybe, how's that working for you? Because maybe they might change their behavior, but you're not changing their nature. You're not changing who they are. There's no real heart transformation. They're just changing you, and you guys are are, are basically calling a truce when when you want to change their behavior, but you're not really changing their heart. How about if we tried Jesus? If we tried grace, compassion, mercy, and so every time we have conflict in our homes, which there's conflict in our homes, would we all agree? That God would say, I want you to try peace. Not peace like the world gives, but peace like I give. Peace that is lasting, peace that is eternal, peace that believes in the atoning work of Jesus Christ. That every sin that we are faced with, that Jesus took every single one of them to the cross. That he has taken them, he has forgiven them, he has, he has taken the guilt, he has taken the shame. Your kids, our loved ones, our families don't need any more whooping. Jesus don't need to go, does not need to go back to the cross for that sin to be redeemed, to be forgiven. There's no more mercy, there's mercy found at the cross for our family. Can you imagine that we actually use the gospel context, that we actually believe in the gospel for the people in our homes, and then that will trickle out. There are fathers you need to forgive. Don't you know the cross of Jesus Christ was enough for them? There are moms that you need to forgive. There are, and every other way of peace that you've been trying to, to, to say, if mom would just do this, if dad would just do this, if my uncle would just do this, if grandpa would have just done that, then it would have been better. No. Christ did something. He went to the cross for them. He went to the cross for them. And if they had not put their faith in him, guess what God says? Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. You give that to me. This judgment, this worry, this thing that happened to you is not for you to bear. What you've already bared is enough. You need peace. You need peace knowing that we serve a God who is in control. We need peace knowing that that we have a God who is reconciling all believers to himself. We need the peace knowing that God has forgiven and, and taken all of our sins to the cross. We need the peace that know that God lives, that he is alive, and that he is empowering us to live by the Spirit, operating in the Spirit, operating in the grace of God, learning what it means to really trust in him for them. Which brings us peace. Why? Because, oh, everybody is so much better in the capable hands of God. And then when we try to hold everybody up, guess what? The weight of trying to be a God crushes us. You don't, you're not God. 
You're not Jesus, but you, but you have a Jesus that you can run to in your time of need. Do you believe that? All right. <clears throat> we'll figure out where I'm at now. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Paul is clear that we, that we find peace in unity, but he does not mean uniformity. The church in Ephesus was, was fully diverse. Uh, the goal was not to, to change us in the way and who we are, but just change us inwardly. The goal of Ephesus was unity in the midst of those differences. And the same is true for us. This leads me to my second principle in the bulletin today. We are to find peace not by separating ourselves from the world or others, but by leaning into the grace and the unity that Jesus brings. This is so important. So important for people who leave everything that they know for a whole year. How do you transition back in? You must transition back in with the peace, the grace, and the unity that Jesus, Jesus gives us. Because you're going to go right back to the same mess. How you deal with the same mess is going to be the question. How you deal with uh, going, leaving here today and entering back into the home where there's still conflict. How you deal today when you're dealing with your, the people that you work with. How you, how you perform today is not by trying to separate, from, uh, separate yourselves from the world or from others. But by learning or leaning into the grace and the unity that Jesus brings. What would happen in our lives and in our community if the church was a place to come together in peace and allow God to remove the dividing walls of hostility? The dividing walls of hostility in our lives. How would this change our church today? How would this change the way we do things? How would this change our homes today? Let's be people of unity. Let's be people of grace. Let's be people of peace. He is our peace, amen? Jesus is our peace. That's much easier to say than do, I think, sometimes because we, in the middle of it, we've, sometimes we feel so weak and sometimes we feel so frustrated and sometimes we get angry and sometimes we just don't want to deal with it at all. Maybe sometimes we're just lazy about it, that we just try to separate from ourselves. But we live in a world that seems like increasingly full of discord and anxiety News stories demonstrate every single day that, the pop, uh, that, that we struggle with this anxiety, that we struggle with depression and isolation. The headlines proclaim divisions on all kinds of fronts. The world seems so polarized right now. From personal disagreements to political wars to different ideologies. And it just seems so crazy how desperately we need peace. How desperately we need some unifying uh, factor in our life. Some unifying peace that, that, that is lasting peace. I'm telling you family, Jesus is our peace. Peace is not a thing. It is a person. We find peace both personally and as a body in a relationship with Christ. And we experience it uh, as the fruit of the Spirit living in and through us. Paul describes this in Galatians chapter 5 where he writes this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, or patience. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are all the fruit of the Spirit. What, what God produces in and through believers that we may live lives characteristic after Jesus Christ. The peace we need isn't something that we can create in and of themselves. And when we do, we get super frustrated, don't we? If you will just do this and that, and then they don't do this and that, and then we get frustrated. 
If my life would just turn out this way or that way, if I could just do this, if I could just achieve this. No, Jesus is saying, no, this peace is a supernatural peace that you cannot produce on your own. The Holy Spirit in us brings about this peace and enables us to live it out. And together as believers, collectively, as we read in Ephesians chapter 2, that we are the dwelling place of God, who is our peace. That we, the body of Christ, demonstrates the peace. Like, you're not the whole keeper of the peace that God wants to offer. We need to be together. Because there's days that we will, in our flesh, be weak, won't we? And we need a stronger Christian in that moment to, to encourage us, to remind us, to, to share the gospel with us, to pray with us, to help us, to be alongside of us. And this is the reason, the principle, and one of the greatest concepts of togetherness. This leads me to my next principle, number three. We are citizens, a family, and, a, and most importantly, a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. I, I, I'm, I'm, I know that our, our struggles aren't going to magically disappear after a prayer. But together in the middle of our struggles, we can experience supernatural peace because we have the presence of the Holy Spirit in us. And that we can share and offer peace to others when our struggles and, and, and disagreements arise. We, we, can, we can remind and encourage one another that, of, of the peace that God offers us when we, when we have moments of weakness or when we fail or when we make a mistake or when we sin. You can do that by, by connecting and being together with the body of Christ where the full manifestation of the Spirit is recognized and, and realized. So what does peace look like in our lives this week? Like today, like practically. I'll tell you what it's not. Peace is not ignoring our differences, our conflicts, or our reality, or the things that are going on. Peace is not this image to be upheld. Like you walk around like, hey, what's going on? Peace. I'm, I'm peaceful. I am just peaceful. Can you see peace on my... It's just not this image to be withheld. It's not, uh, it's not this thing like I'm feeling persuaded about something. Peace is the presence of God in his people. And his presence through the Holy Spirit enables to, us to experience this peace. And to remind each other around the world that he is the source of our peace. And to confess honestly that how much we need this peace. That's what it means to be the body of Christ. It doesn't mean that we've arrived somewhere that we look a different way. It's just the matter, the fact that the matter is, is that we need Jesus. It's a peace that Jesus was talking about when he said this. He says, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Let that sink in just for a minute. Are you not more, much more valuable than they and God takes care of them? This is, the, this is peace knowing that God loves us. <clears throat> And then Jesus says, can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? You see, we can rest in the peace that comes from knowing God will take care of us. The God who takes care of the birds of the air and the flowers of the field, he will give us everything that we need and we do not need to worry. Isn't that wonderful? 
It'd be nice if, if, if people knew this kind of peace, if they knew this kind of Jesus. It'd be nice if this peace was like one and done, wouldn't it? It'd be nice if we were just like, here comes the peace and now I'm like good forever on easy street. It's not like that, is it? Because tomorrow's troubles come. But God says, you let tomorrow's troubles come because they're going to come. You worry about today. You rest in the peace that I offer you today. We are faced with an unpeaceful world. Jesus invites us to return to him each and every single day over and over again to be reminded of the peace. The prophets who foretold the coming of Jesus named him the Prince of Peace. Isn't that awesome? And through his death and resurrection, he made a way of peace available to each of us. In the face of life's battles and an unpeaceful world, Jesus offers us the terms of peace and a way forward. And this leads me to my next principle. When we surrender to his power and accept his life, we embrace the way of peace. It's a constant way of peace. It's a path of peace. It's a peace that we walk on and surrender to each and every single day. But what about the fact that peace seems so temporary and fragile from day to day? It seems that peace can be interrupted and destroyed in an instant. Some of you are going to get a call today and the cancer uh, diagnosis is going to come in. Some of you are going to get a call today and the family member is hurt. Some of you are going to get a call today and something's going to happen that seems to interrupt and destroy this peace. God is not shaken by your circumstances. His peace is not uh, dependent upon uh, everything going right in your life. But his peace is something that in the midst of the, the trouble that we can cling on to, that we can hold on to because it's a lasting peace. It's an eternal peace, even for those who, who, who are suffering and, and, and facing some dire situations. In fact, our peace is never changing. It's always present in the Spirit of God. Jesus knew the hardships that the disciples would face, and he promised them peace. Look at what he told them in John's Gospel. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace, speaking of the Holy Spirit, I leave with you. Peace, speaking of the gospel, peace of everything that Jesus taught us. Peace I leave with you and peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and don't be afraid. This is a lasting peace. This is an eternal peace. This is a gospel peace that we all desperately need to hold on and clasp to. Just as Jesus promised, the Holy Spirit is with us continually and he is the source of our peace. We all need these reminders. We all need encouragement and support. We all need, and, that, and, and this is where the church comes in. We need each other. This is where the concept of togetherness is so important when we talk about what it means to be together. We need this reminder because we're feeble. Our hearts are feeble and and our circumstances are unsure. But Jesus is the surest thing that every Christian has and he's unshakable. He's a foundation that we can stand on and rely on and believe in and trust in. His Holy Spirit is present with every single believer and yet we walk like unbelievers with no peace. Where is your source of peace? Are you believers? Or are you walking around like atheists? Oh, please don't. You know how the devil gets in and destroys the, the, the gospel movement in the church? He starts right here with discouraging the believers. <clears throat> he, the Bible says that he has come to devour and, and to conquer and to divide and destroy. When, when we divide, and we, that means we're separating. We're not together. 
And so I want to encourage you that togetherness, this concept of togetherness is God's plan for the church because we need each other. Paul closes Ephesians 2 with this. He says, and to him, and in him you two are being built together, say together, to become a dwelling place which God lives by his spirit. Like those Legos we talked about earlier, we fit together to form the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit fills and enables us to to live in the presence and the peace of Jesus Christ. Why do we come back to church and invite others to come back to church? It's because we want uh, to, to enter in and cooperate with God as he's building his church. Because we need lasting peace. We need to realize that this is where God does his work. This is where God does his lasting work. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus says this, Where two or three gather in my name, there I will be with them. This is where he does his work together with us. So we come together to live, to worship in unity, to collectively turn our focus back upon Jesus again and again and again and again and experience him as the source of our peace and to offer the way of peace to those around us. You're never going to offer peace to people around you if you don't believe that this is true peace that can be obtained. And so it starts here. It starts with you experiencing the peace for yourself. And then God will send you on mission as you begin to experience this peace to share the peace with the world. The word to you is to stick in and stay together. Now I want to talk to those who might not yet be believers. Um, you're like, who is this crazy Jesus that you're talking about? Who is this Jesus that, that, you, that brings this kind of peace? Oh, how God, I wish you just know him. Uh, you can never obtain this peace until you obtain Christ. You can never possess this peace until you possess Christ. And what a blessing it would be that, that today is the beginning that you find Jesus and that you actually find this peace, that the door to God, Christ's peace opens for you. You don't have to go far to find him. He's here. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, that you will be saved, that this door of peace will be open for you. In Revelation, he says, he says, I stand at the door and knock, and if you will open it, I will come in and I will dine with you like Jesus, the God of the universe, will sit at your table. Can you imagine that? And you're like, no, but my house is dirty. He goes, I know. I know you haven't did the dishes. I know that the laundry's piled up and it's okay. I love you. I love you. I know there's rooms you don't even want me to come in. I know there's rooms in my life that, that you, Jesus, you just ain't welcome. You can stay in the dining room. You can stay in the living room. But don't go into my bedroom. It's okay. God says, I love you. I'll make my way there. But I'm going to make my way through love, grace, compassion, mercy, and peace. Because I want you to experience a peace that knows that you're accepted in spite of what's going on, in spite of your dirty laundry. I want you to know that there's peace for you in spite of what's going on in your bedroom right now. I want to know that there's peace for you in spite of what happened in those bedrooms when you were young. I want to know that there's peace for you in spite of everything that's going on in the rooms that you think that I'm out of. The truth is I'm not out of them. I was there with you, holding you the whole way. Amen? 
Charles Spurgeon, anybody knows Charles Spurgeon? The father of the faith. Listen to what he says. It says, it seems to me very amazing that we should need to persuade men to think of their own interests and to care for their own selves. In other things, they are always sharp enough to look after what they call number one. But when it comes to the most solemn concern, the greatest blessing of the purest happiness that can be had, they are foolish as to let other things attract them more than the Lord Jesus. Don't let that be your story today. Put your faith in Jesus and become part of his family. Accept the peace that he offers. Then together let's pursue this life of walking with purpose and meaning in Christ. Together we are much greater than the sum of our parts. You can feel like a big bag of Legos right now, but just come on in. We'll start putting it together. And we will start seeing what God can create, the church, the body of Christ, together. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you, God, that you are uh, so good to meet us right here today by your Spirit. I thank you, Lord, for the concept of togetherness. You created it. God, it is our sin that has separated us and isolated us. And thank you, Jesus, for dying for every single one of our sins, for taking them to the grave and burying them there. Thank you, God, that you rose again from the dead, that you now give us the power. You give us your spirit. You live within every single believer that we can be reconciled back to God and to one another together. I pray that this concept of togetherness, Lord, will just be, just to infiltrate this whole community. God, we are better together because you created it that way. Jesus, thank you for that. You made the way. You opened the door for that. And so we're grateful for you. So we ask all of this in your name. We ask for your blessing on the remainder of this service as we respond. I pray for everyone here that they will know how accepted and loved and cared for they are and that they should be with this community together. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.